Well, good morning, everybody. I hope that you're well. hope that you've had a wonderful weekend, and it's uh, great to see um, so many smiling faces and encouragements. Um, I want to just highlight the fact that our Women of the Word ministry kicked off this last week. It was great just to see the turnout. Ladies that showed up to bless that ministry. We're excited about what the future uh, holds. And there's already another event coming up on October 15th. So if you didn't have a chance to be there for the kickoff, you'll have an opportunity to um, experience what the ministry is all about when it uh, comes up here in just a matter of a few short weeks. Well, I would like to begin our time uh, by reading the definition of a word. And the word is example. The definition of example A person or way of behaving that is seen as a model that should be followed. Someone or something that is mentioned to help explain what you are saying or to show that a general statement is true. That's a secondary definition. Third definition. Something or someone chosen from a group in order to show what the whole group is like. An example. I think all of us would agree that our world is filled with examples. Some of them good examples and some of them not so good examples. Every human being on the planet has to some degree been impacted or in many ways is shaped and influenced by the example of others. And what's interesting to me is that for Christians in the church, it is no different. God has ordained that our lives would be impacted and influenced by the example of others. Just listen to these passages. The Holy Spirit led the Apostle Paul when he was writing the church in Philippi to record these words in Philippians 3.17, which say this, Brethren... Join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. Paul also wrote this to the Thessalonians in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. You also became imitators of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 7, so that you became imitators an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. He wrote a second letter, 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 3, verse 7. He says this, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example, because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you. The Apostle Peter also shared this expression, when addressing the shepherds of the church, really the under-shepherds in the church, in 1 Peter 5, he encouraged them to shepherd their flocks with care and eagerness, not lording it over those in your charge, allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. Are you aware that your life serves as an example to others. 
every day of every week, your life functions in that capacity. It provides an example to all of us in the church. It provides an example to the watching world. And this strikes at the very core of what discipleship is. By now, most of us know what a disciple is, that we're talking about a follower and a learner of Christ. And the goal is to give God glory as we follow and learn from Christ. And if I could be more specific, that we learn by following both the instruction and the example of Christ. And just last week, we had the opportunity to develop our understanding of submission. And we considered how Christ's example can be an encouragement to us all and even more specifically to Christian wives in our church as they follow his example. Submission is not easy, and sometimes it even involves suffering in varying degrees. This is why the Apostle Peter was led to record in 1 Peter 2.21 the following, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who was Peter writing to? Predominantly Jewish believers, right, who were under great persecution. They were suffering, suffering immensely, and yet he pointed them to the hope and the encouragement that comes by looking to an example, the example and the ultimate expression of submission, Jesus Christ himself. And this is the very heartbeat of discipleship in the church. One of the ministry pillars that you see up here every week, designed to remind us of the, the things that, the philosophy of, the, of ministry of our church, really, that we're going to be progressing in evangelism and discipleship. We are followers and we are learners so that we can grow and develop and that we can become leaders and teachers in the church as disciple makers. And one of the most impactful ways to make a disciple is to lead by example. And this is what true leaders do. It's what the Lord Jesus Christ did it's what the apostles did it's what the examples just even as we took a brief survey and the epistles and the new testament churches it's what they did and it's what our church is called to do as well and titus 2 continues to provide insights into how we can serve as examples in the church and how god has designed and desires really the church to glorify him as our examples run counter to the surrounding worldly culture in which we live. And over the past several weeks, we've had the opportunity to put different age groups under the microscope and take a closer look at what their testimony should look like in a healthy church. It started with the older men back in uh, chapter 2, verse 2, 
that men will be of older men will be of spiritual maturity marked by a testimony of being temperate and dignified sensible sound in faith in love in perseverance our passage then shifted our focus to godly older women who are to serve as testimonies of reverence in their behavior they're women who acknowledge the presence of the king in their daily lives they're not malicious gossips they're not enslaved to wine their testimonies are women who teach what is good and this allows them to encourage and lead the younger women and then spent our time focusing on the testimonies of young women in the church as we looked at seven testimonies that were found in verses four and five and young ladies just know this i wasn't i wasn't picking on you i wasn't camping out there like hey you guys need special attention the reality is this is what exists in the text right seven testimonies and we slowed down on purpose because there were some sensitive matters that we needed to look at we talked about what it means for women to be good workers in the home and as a result uh, of what God's word says that this is the defining role for women in the church and yes on occasion there are exceptions and I hope you know that this isn't a position of Pastor John this isn't a position of the elders of the church this is what God's word says this is what he, he has designed within the role. We also took some time last week with the seventh testimony to talk about another san- sensitive matter as it relates to wives submitting or being subject to their own husbands. Spending extra time on God's um, focus there and Today, God's word has us shifting our attention again. And now we're going to turn our attention to the younger men. And we'll spend this Sunday and next Sunday, Lord willing, on verses 6 through 8. And let's read the passage together. If you're not there already, I invite you to turn to Titus 2. And I'm going to read verses 6 through 8, which read as follows. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity in doctrine dignified sound in speech which is beyond reproach so that the opponent will be put to shame having nothing bad to say about us well the sermon propositions in your notes and we're going to go ahead and set up camp around this passage which is really driving home this reality spiritually minded men provide strong examples for the church and the watching world spiritually minded sensible men provide strong examples for the church and the watching world and our passage provides three specific ways for young men to be strong examples yet similar to previous sermons in this passage there's overlap with what Paul has shared with other ages and genders within the church. Well, let's get started. The outline's in your notes. Spiritually minded men provide strong examples for the church and the watching world. 
And the first specific way for young men to be strong examples is to be sober, is to sober their thinking. Verse 6 says this, Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. Just as the other groups needed to be urged to be sensible, and the young women are to be taught by the older women, so likewise, Titus is to appeal to or to urge the young men to be sensible. And Paul's use of this adverb at the beginning, likewise, isn't an indication that the instruction is the same for the young women, or for the young men as it is for the young women, but rather for both groups alike, true doctrine has implications for how life is to be lived. And remember the context of our passage, which is always pointing back, right, to verse 1, as Paul reminded Timothy to keep speaking the things that were fitting for sound doctrine. As a young man, Titus conveyed the instruction to the older women first, and then he indirectly um, uh, provided instruction that allowed the women uh, to appeal to and, and to teach the, th- those who were younger. But as we're going to see, Titus, due to his age and his gender, was um, able to deal directly with the young men. This served as an advantage. We don't know what Titus's age, and if you can recall back even to the overview that we did on the book, we had no idea what Titus's age is at this point, but there's a strong reason to believe that similar to Timothy, his age falls towards the younger end of the spectrum because Paul includes the instruction for Titus with the young men in this section, not with the older men. And Paul commands Titus to encourage the young men. But this command can also be translated to urge or to admonish, and it's a, it's a command. And so when he's instructed to do this, there's an imperatival force that comes behind it. It is in the present tense, which carries the idea of doing this continually or on an ongoing basis. As one commentator shared, quote, training young men to be godly takes more than a one-time training seminar, end quote. This is a seasoned pastor in Paul telling another pastor who is younger in Titus to challenge everyone in the church to be sensible. That's why I can stand before you as a young pastor today and say that I need to be sensible as a leader in the church. It's the very reason why I can stand behind this pulpit and the authority of God's word and and encourage and exhort our church family to be sensible as well. So that the testimony of our church can give God glory. And I shared this before, but it bears repeating that Paul uses this word four times in this chapter alone. He uses it in verse 2, then in verse 5, then in verse 6, and then again in verse 12. And then he uses a cognate or a a, a derivative uh, of this word in verse 4, depending on your translation, which it's either translated train or uh, encourage in the NAS. So we have this 
this word that's featured for us five times in 12 verses. A strong concentration. And when something's concentrated in the scripture, there's a good reason why God let it to be recorded multiple times for us. And the Greek word means sober-minded. Or a more modern expression of this might be level-headed. There's also the elements of being prudent and self-control. And I want you to see something that is only revealed in the Greek that allows us to see the comprehensive aspect of this exhortation for young men to be sensible or sober in their thinking. If you have the NAS translation, it will be a little easier to see than if you have the ESV, but I put both of these translations in your bulletin. I hope that they're in there. Uh, Verses 6 through 7a, are they both in there? I see a few of you nodding. That's a good thing. And so let's go ahead and read what verses 6 through 7a say in the NES. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. And then verse 7 starts out with the phrase, in all things. And this phrase, in all things, and if you have the ESV, it says in all respects, can go either with verse 6 or 7 and It makes sense both ways. So it could read like this. Likewise, urge the young men to be sensible in all things. Or it could just say, likewise, urge the young men to be sensible. And then go with verse 7. It says, in all things, show yourself to be an example. You see that? You see how it can make sense? And commentators are split on which verse to connect this phrase with. But I believe, and and I hold the conviction that it belongs with verse 6. And I want to give you three reasons why. First, notice in chapter 2, 1 through 10, the older men receive four exhortations. The older women, five. The younger women receive seven. And now the younger men receive only one? Seems a little imbalanced, don't you think? But when we add the phrase, in all things, to the end of verse 6, it is a much broader scope. Second reason is the all-encompassing nature of this Greek word, which makes it a natural fit with the phrases, in all things, or in all respects. The third reason is when this phrase is committed to verse 6, that bumps it out of verse 7, And it makes the very first word in verse 7 in the Greek, yourself. And it puts it in the emphatic position by bringing it all the way forward. Something that would seem likely given the instructions addressed to Titus in verse 7. And we'll see how this makes greater sense when we get to our next verse. But I wanted to share uh, this with you because I think even as we're about to go through these three words that really reflect what it means to be sensible I put in all things after each one. For many young men, it's very common for their thinking to be governed by their emotions or feelings rather than by truth and wisdom. And this oftentimes leads to making rash decisions or using poor judgment. And As I look back, even on my own life, as a late teen, and even through my 20s, 
this describes how I, I thought. I, I, I lived through my emotions. I experienced the roller coaster ride of that. I didn't have access to discipleship or to godly wisdom. And even if I did, my unrepentant heart at that point in time wasn't going to receive that instruction anyway. My heart was driven by my feelings. And I looked for contentment in sports. And, and basically, it was all based on my performance. If I did well on, on the court or on the field, then life was good. I felt good about life. But when it didn't go well, life was miserable. What sports couldn't fulfill, I looked for in dating relationships. How I was valued by a girlfriend also became another emotionally based idol in my life. And you know what's ironic? It never changed. All through high school it was that way. All through college. Even for the first years, uh, first few years outside of college. It never changed. My life was governed by my emotions and feelings as I served these idols. And it wasn't until I got saved. Not only did I turn from being emotionally driven, but I, was, was, I turned from the idols of, of football and from dating relationships and God's word combined with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, the gospel, and the word of God, that is what began to govern my life. It was the lordship of Christ and the truth and the promises of scripture that began to, to rule and reign in my life. And the Lord graciously put men of God into my path who were faithful to point me to the sensible truths of God's word. I remember the first Bible study that I went to. It was at 6 a.m. on a Thursday. Met at this little restaurant coffee shop. And I remember just sitting there, taking it all in, and these men were around God's word, and they were talking about the truths of Scripture, and they were applying to it to their life. And I remember just being blown away. I was like, they are taking what they're reading in the book, and it is determining how they live and what they do. I was just, I was like, wow, that's amazing. Absolutely amazing. Spiritually minded men provided strong examples for me and many others who were young in the church and I share this all because there's a direct correlation between being level headed and the application of wisdom that comes through growing in God's word and the book of Proverbs provides a clear contrast between the way of the fool and the way of the sensible level headed man in 31 chapters of Proverbs the fool and the naive are mentioned over a hundred times. While the wisdom of God's word begs us to listen and to 
apply his instruction. And Proverbs 14, 15 says this, The naive man believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. And when you are sober in your thinking, you will be discerning in your direction. A common description of young men in Proverbs describes them as being gullible and naive and foolish. And wisdom, like in Proverbs 14, 15, calls them to be level-headed and to consider their steps. What does God's word mean by considering your steps? What is your direction? What is the course of your life? Where are you going? That's what it's talking about in your steps. What is the direction of your life and how is wisdom or level-headedness guiding you? Many of you know Chris McGrath who was here with us this summer serving as a ministry intern. And there's a lot of things that I appreciate about Chris McGrath. I really just really am encouraged by how the Lord's at work in his life. Whether it's the giftedness that he has to serve or his hunger for holiness or his desire for evangelism. And there's so much more. But if there's one thing that really encourages my heart greatly about how God has worked in the life of Chris McGrath, it's how sensible and level-headed he is as he considers his steps. He thinks intently about his ministry future and how the Lord might use him. He's seeking counsel on if and when or whether he should go to seminary. He thinks ahead strategically about his college summer breaks and makes plans to grow in his service to the Lord. And our church was on the receiving end of that, thinking in advance, right? He was with us all summer. He did a number of things. I think he painted every wall and brick in this building, served faithfully. I praise the Lord for how he has worked in Chris's life. But Chris talked to me like the year before about potentially coming for an internship when he found out that I was coming to Cornerstone. It, it, it was on his forecast. It was on his radar. And he served at our church this summer, but last summer he went on three different missions trips to three different countries through his, his church back home. And the summer before that, it was something else. None of you have even met Chris's roommate. His name's Josh, and his grandparents go to our previous ministry, Larry and Dee Dee, faithful couple, his grandparents. And Josh, much like Chris, is actively engaged in ministry, and he plans his steps very wisely as he seeks wisdom and direction from the Lord and from godly men. And I praise the Lord for both of these young men who serve as examples in Christ to so many. And as I thought about it, I was thinking what is li- like what the common denominator 
is here with, with these two men as I, as I just looked at their lives. And of course, they had a passion for Christ and the gospel. But I also know that there was a commitment to wisdom. There was a commitment to the study of Scripture. Both of them lead Bible studies back on their campus. And they have a desire to focus on what God's Word says as they make decisions about their lives. And the fruit of being sensible and level-headed manifests itself as a result. And just as our sermon proposition shares, spiritually-minded men provide strong examples for the church and the watching world. To, to be spiritually-minded means our minds are fixed and focused on Christ and the application of God's wisdom found in His instruction to us. It is fueled by sound instruction. And this, again, is why Paul directs Titus to keep speaking the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. And it's what will help every age group in the church to be sensible as they mature. And it's what will allow young men specifically to be sensible and level-headed in all things. And it's not the Chris McGrath show. I hope you guys get that. Chris could have stayed home and made the decision to spend the time on his college break during the summer with his family, and that would have been totally honorable. Chris could have wanted to hang out with um, his friends. He could have wanted to uh, play video games. He could have wanted to go to the movies. He could have wanted to pick up a part-time job, just pick up some extra money from school and take a break. And there would be nothing wrong with that, right? All things given by God for, for us to enjoy. I'm not being legalistic about it. But he didn't. He didn't choose that. Why? And I believe the reason why is because God is growing him and allowing him to see the value of being discerning and sensible about the ministry steps that he is taking with his life. And I, again, I praise God for his work and the growth seen in Chris's example. Yet the call is for all young Christian men to be sensible and level-headed in all things. And the application is broad because the exhortation is broad. I mean, really, we could go anywhere with this when we're talking about being sensible, Right? And one way that spiritually minded men can provide strong examples for the church and the watching world is to be purposed with our lives. And I can think of nothing more important, quite honestly, than prayerfully planning or mapping out your ministry future. When you are sober in your thinking, you will be discerning in your direction. In Proverbs 16.9, the mind of a man plans his way and the Lord directs his steps. There's a walk and junction in the middle of that verse that it could be translated and or but. And a roommate who's now a doctor at TMS, <laughs> who's teaching Hebrew there, wrote a paper on it. But e e either way you take it, the mind of a man plans his way. 
but and the Lord directs his steps. As young men mature, they should recognize their need to think about how God is growing them and for what purposes. How is God going to use your life as an example in the church and the watching world? What is your spiritual gift? And how can you start to develop that gift? Are you gifted to serve or are you gifted to speak and teach? Or maybe it's both. Here's a question. What are your ministry passions? And how can you take those ministry passions and turn them into actions? That's a, that's a probing, insightful question. Why? Because God burdens our hearts for certain things. And it's such an encouragement to see young men when they are, 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 are burdened in, in, in a specific way for an aspect of ministry. And how God works on their hearts. And he, it, there's a passion that's fueled. And so it's good to ask the question, what are your ministry passions? And how can your godly passions turn into actions? Well, this is just the tip of the iceberg as we consider the breadth of this term. There are two other aspects that we need to briefly consider. We're still under the first point, which is to sober your thinking. And though our passage is focused on young men, you may have noticed that the first point says your thinking, not their thinking. And that was intentional. Because Titus 2 reveals being sensible or sober in our thinking applies to all believers. We're looking at what it means from three aspects because this term is so broad. First meaning is it means sober-minded or level-headed. And the second word in your notes under point one is prudent. Spiritually-minded men also provide strong examples for the church and the watching world by being prudent. To be prudent means to be discreet and careful in judgment. It's a word that we really don't hear an awful lot anymore in, in our English vernacular. In general, many young men have reputations, especially in the book of Proverbs, for lacking sense or using poor judgment. In Proverbs 8, verses 4 through 6, features this when it says, starting in, in chapter 8, verse 4, To you, O man, I call, and my voice is to the sons of men. Okay, so this is speaking directly to young men. O naive ones, understand prudence. And O fools, understand wisdom. Verse 6, Listen, for I will speak noble things, and the opening of my lips will reveal right things. In Proverbs chapter 1, when Solomon is actually speaking about the usefulness of proverbial wisdom, he shares that the Proverbs are intended, um, in, in chapter 1, verse 4, he says this, to give prudence to the naive and to the youth knowledge and discretion. Wisdom informs judgment, and it also encourages discretion. And as 
a young man matures, and as he becomes more sober in his thinking, it will be reflected in the decisions that he makes. And the Christian life is filled with a lot of decisions to be made. We recognize that. And the scales are dramatically different with some of those decisions. (laughs) Who you marry is not on the same scale as which English translation you you use for your Bible study. I think we all get that. Yet, yet, prudence, okay, being prudent provides all the wisdom, uh, the Lord provides all the wisdom needed to make these decisions. Well, the third aspect to consider under point number one is the word self-controlled. This broad term, translated sensible, as we've seen, can be level-headed, it can be prudent, and the ESV translates it self-controlled. And in a previous sermon, we spent some time addressing why Paul may have been led by the Holy Spirit to use this word. Paul recognized the lack of self-control in the Cretan culture that was manifesting itself in the forms of deception. Right? There was a lot of lying going on. There was a lot of gluttony, a lot of laziness. He also recognized the negative impact that it was having in the church. Thus, he used this term repeatedly, which reminded them to be sober in their thinking in conjunction with self-control. And young men would especially need this exhortation since they are, as one commentator expressed, inclined to be somewhat impetuous and unrestrained in their conduct. You know what that is? That's just a nice way of saying out of control. All right? That or, or in need of self-control. That's what that is saying. And certainly one of the implications of the gospel on the island of Crete resulted in the Lord changing their hearts to live differently. Yet this also reveals the need for continued instruction. Another reason why Paul we keep going back to this, was emphasizing to Titus to keep speaking the things that are fitting for sound doctrine. We need healthy teaching. And sound teaching would help young men mature. And as a result, through the power of the Holy Spirit, accompanied by God's instructions, a self-controlled mind can yield self-controlled conduct. And this allows spiritually-minded men to provide strong examples for the church and the watching world. And this happens when young men sober their thinking. Both the church and the world will see the examples of young men who are level-headed, who are prudent, and as we've just looked at, self-control. Also in a previous sermon, just as it related to application, again, which is pretty broad with this term, we considered the testimony of our lives running uh, counterculturally to um, our Americretan mindset. We talked about our culture being plagued with gluttony and deception and laziness as well. And we talked about the reality that gluttony always encourages us to take as much as we want, to be wasteful, and not to be considerate of the needs of others, while self-control and being sensible encourages us to take only what we need 
while keeping others in mind. We also shared that deception is pandemic in our culture. Infidelity in marriage, infidelity in business practices. And I don't even know what, I don't know about you, I don't even know what to believe when I turn on the news, when I watch the news. I don't even know what's real anymore. I don't. I wouldn't claim to know. Corruption, deceit, bribery, embezzlement, coercion, blackmail. That's the testimony of our society. That's it. But not, but not us, church. Not, not you, my friends. We're called. We will be the examples. We will stand up for Christ. We will stand up for righteousness. We will be the salt and the light that this world so desperately needs. As Christ dwells within, as the light of the gospel shines through our lives, as they see us living differently. Laziness is another common theme in our culture. Remember I mentioned we want to work less, make more, and retire earlier. That's it. Remember the Americretan dream? Right there. And if there's one thing that we cannot be in our examples, it is lazy. We cannot be. The harvest is now. The time is now. The workers need to be in the fields now. And we'll rest when we get to heaven. Amen? We'll rest when we get to heaven. And let, let me make sure I qualify my statement too. We, 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 we rest from works righteousness. We rest from legalism, right? And I have nothing to do with that, right? But the time is now for us to be at the task and to be serving the Lord. And our passage provides three specific ways for young men to be strong examples for the church and the watching world. The first way was revealed in verse 6, as young men are exhorted to be sensible in all things, which summons them to be sober, to sober their thinking. The second way for young men to provide strong examples for the church and the watching world is to show who you are. Verses 7 and 8, 7 and 8a say this. Show yourself, okay, now we're seeing this, right? It doesn't say in all things. That, that's, that's with verse 6, and you're not going to see in all respects. You're not going to see that in this verse. It's brought forward now emphatically, so the emphasis is now being placed on Titus. And Paul says this to Titus, show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity and doctrine, dignified, sound in speech, which is beyond reproach. Starting in verse 7, Paul shifts the attention from the young men to the church to the young leader of the church, Titus. And the Holy Spirit led Paul on a number of occasions to feature believers to serve as examples for us. And we even read some of them at the beginning of the message that reflected this reality. And here Paul makes another discipleship connection for us as Titus is called 
to serve as an example to the church. Praise God for giving the church examples. At age five, little Aaron attended his first football game with his father. Before the game started, his dad gave him careful instructions about behavior at the game. His father said, when the game starts, you will have to stay seated, be quiet, and act like an adult. Not long after kickoff, Aaron noticed lots of people jumping up and down, screaming their heads off, and shaking their fists in the air. He turned to his dad and asked, Are these adults? It's a cute story. But I often wonder whether it reflects the same mentality of the watching world as they view the church. As they see disunity and brokenness in the church. That they would be led to ask the question, Are these Christians? Are these Christians? Next Sunday, Lord willing, we'll continue our study as we, can, we study the testimony of our church with a special focus on young men providing strong examples for the church and the watching world as they show the world who they are. And as we will show the church who we are, and it's already listed in your notes, by their deeds, their doctrine, their dignity, and discourse. And our plate is already set for us. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we are again so thankful for the opportunity that we have just to zero in on a specific age group within the church. And I pray for every young man that is here with us today that our hearts would be encouraged by the instruction, that we would see the need to be sensible in all things, level-headed in all things, prudent in all things, self-controlled in all things so that we can be effective examples and testimonies for your namesake. And it's not to point people to us. It's not to point people to us being righteous. It's ultimate expression of us pointing people to you so that you can be glorified. And Father, you have planned this from the very beginning, that this is how the church and the testimony of the church would glorify your name. And I pray that you would help every single one of us to walk in faithfulness to the high calling that you've placed on each of our lives. That we would be the living testimony and the ambassadors and the representatives of Christ to each other internally in the church and to the watching world externally. 
they would see the difference and that they would ask questions and that you would open up gospel opportunities and conversations for us to have with them so that they could become followers and learners of Christ. And I pray that you would allow them to see the truth of the gospel that we, we serve a holy God and that nobody can be righteous by their own merit, that we all sin, we all fall short, and that the only perfect righteousness that exists is the perfect righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ from the life that he lived and the debt that he paid. And that when we turn from ourself, when we repent of self and trusting in who we are or in something else, and we trust completely in him by faith, that you allow our hearts to be born again. And they're born again to be sensible. Father, I pray that you'll continue to allow us to meditate on this truth. May it be something that encourages our hearts. I pray for all of us that we would be mindful of how you're using us and how you're shaping us for your purposes. And that we could be spent that our lives could be spent serving you and magnifying you and glorifying you as a result. We again give you praise for this opportunity to gather. We look forward to what this passage continues to reveal to us. We ask that you'll bless the remainder of our day and encourage us to walk in faithfulness with you this week. We praise you and thank you in the name of Christ. Amen.